Guy Stafford, Laurie Bittman World, Joe Evans, Stuart Lehman, Gary McKirkin, David Champion, Alan Copleston, J.C. Ann McConnell from Ellensborough, Graham Johnson for Leith, Kilkenny Dave, Michael Lotterman, Darren Wells, <coughs> Greg Haylett, Chris Bell, Sharon Stokes, P. Hudson, Tony Beacom, Robert Munro, Dean Davis, Tomas Colano, David Day, Sylvia Kovalic, Doug James, and Ed Grant, I'm getting out of Stephen Hatch, Samantha Dull, Chris Harris, Tim Sigamon, Big James from Birmingham, Terence Quinlan, Martin Whiffin, Nicholas Slobo, Gary Stover, and the Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Fish and Friday. Ha! And a happy ending moment to you all. <laughs> mm. Gary Tate for Dunbar, Diamond Tangle, East East Lancashire. Here we go. Um, I nearly got caught out there. I was. Uh, I had everything set up. I had, I had the, 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 the camera up, computers on at the house, tested the songs for tonight, and uh, done it all. Poured my Erdinger. Just about to sit down, I went, I left the vape. Couldn't find it anywhere in the house, the vape, right? And I realised I'd left it in the car, so I was running out of the car just to come back, just to get on stage for you in time. That's what it is. It is on stage. It's um, my gig. <laughs> My weekly gig. Da, 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 da. It's um yeah. Been a kind of weird week. I'm um I'm I'm kind of quite well dressed in the top, but below it's uh I'm a little bit um wanting. I've got my camis on. Um because I was out in the garden. I mean kinda I've been smuggling time out in the garden all week, two or three hours a day. And uh, I've got this, the, the front bed, and, and the, I've got these big New Zealand formium grasses, the massive things. I put them in with the yawn height. They're absolutely, they're huge now. And uh, Rab, when he was working, he had been cutting them out. But at the front of them, what had happened was, right, I'd been getting this bed tidied up for a while. I'd only kind of, we only, I only made it when I, I got some land off the local farmer. Well, I found some land that I owned that I didn't know about, right? And um, so I put a really big raised bed in, and it was on top of a, a, a really... It was a, another kind of one of those earth movings that had happened during the making of the studio. And it was just... It was like a big lump of crappy soil, really crappy soil, and it was full of weeds. And eventually it became known as Hutchinson's Dyke. Oh, here we are, Garden Wildlife Direct, all about autumn feeding, thanks. This is this is where I get the Sutton stuff. My Gmail account, Sutton's, Dobies, perennial plants, 15 million for a quid. Right. Oh, I'll get them. <laughs> where will I put them? Anyway, so the Hutchison's Dyke, it was called after a mate of mine called Hutch. Um, he got us some railway sleepers and we kind of built a wall and stuff. And it, it lasted for a little while, but the weeds were too much. And eventually they said, open it out a wee bit. So we made a whole new construction, put a big weed membrane down, throw a lot of soil in it in front of the formium grasses. It looks stunning. 
I had to build steps up to it this year because I could no longer <laughs> could get up. I built this big, it's, it's, it's a, I say it's a raised bed. It's like, it's a bed that's about three feet there, right? But to get over to it, it's three, three, four kind of sleeper heights. And I couldn't get up. And it was always really embarrassing when the neighbours were passing and you kind of like, you know, get one leg up. And trying to get down. <laughs> trying to get down. And you go, how am I going to get down? And I had to roll down. You know, I had to kind of get down on my knees and kind of roll off the bed, you know, rather than jumping, jumping nimbly like a gazelle. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> in my raised bed, the southern bed, what used to be Hutchinson's Dyke, uh, and I'd, I'd built out the soil and last year I put in about a ton of manure straight on the top deck of it all, right? And I put all the pumpkins in there. I've decided to put pumpkins and squashes because these things kind of rove and go crazy, you know? The tendrils grow everywhere, right? But a couple of years back, right, when I was kind of going through, oh, let's get flowers in the soil, I discovered nasturtiums, right? And the sturgeons are a <coughs> very pleasant little plant. <laughs> they grow profusely. And uh, they've, they've, the ones I've got kind of yellows and orange and red flowers, they look beautiful and they spread like crazy. And, um, and I, put, I put them in two years ago and, and Simone had said to me, watch what you're doing with these things. They're like, they go crazy. And I'm going, oh, we'll, we'll keep them under control. They went crazy. And, um, and last year, Rab was supposed to, he hadn't really gone into the, it properly because these things seed, they self-seed like crazy. And there's these little green seeds everywhere, right? And Rab had tried to get a lot of them out last year and he obviously didn't. And so you've got the, the pumpkins and the squashes kind of moving, you know, getting out there and spreading away, which they were supposed to do in this big bed, south-facing sun, blah, blah, blah. And then it was nasturtium time, right? <laughs> And they came and they came and they grew into the big formium grasses that are about two metres high and basically covered them. They just went all the way through all the formium grasses, all through the pumpkins and stuff. I go, oh, Jesus, you know. And that bed is designated to take the onions this year. So I'm going to put my onions in this bed next year from this coming growing season. So I had to clean it. So I had to, and Rab's off because his back's screwed up and his knee's screwed up. And he's, if, if he was a horse, they'd take him to the field and shoot him, right? Anyway, I've been left with it, me, 62-year-old, right? So I'm up there. Luckily, as I said, we built these steps. Rab and I built these steps up earlier on in the year, just prior to what was in kind of lockdown-ish time. So I could get up and I could wander up the steps and go into this big bed. And it's been great. So I had to go up there. And I had to clear all the nasturtiums and what was left of the, the pumpkins and everything, all the big leaves and stuff to clear it all out, right? Started pulling these damn things. And it's like this little green seeds, point, 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 everywhere, all over the top of this bed, right? So I pull out all the nasturtiums. I mean, we're talking about a forest. It's like, it's like a, a carpet about maybe a, a, a foot, two feet off the ground, like everywhere, over this whole bed, which is about 15 metres by about four four metres or so, right? So it's, it's a big lump, right? It's a big lump of ground. <clears throat> so I got all the nasturtiums off. It took me about four trailer loads of this little trailer thing I've got, like stacked about five feet high to get them off, right? And uh, so I was moving all that off. And then I, I, I was, the good thing was, I discovered a bunch of pumpkins, which was nice. 
I found all these pumpkins in amongst the nasturtiums and squashes. So I found about, I was about eight or nine of them. And I swapped one of them with my local uh, John, one of my neighbours, Dr. John, right? Not the piano player, but Dr. John's one of my neighbours. And Dr. John gave me a couple of eggs and I gave him a, a, a squash. And, and it's that kind of vibe. And Ursula, who's girl who picks up the post, she got a pumpkin, right? We've got a bunch of pumpkins in the greenhouse, which is great. But the nasturtium seed, right? I had to go up. I've spent, I think it's been about eight hours now, I think in total. And you have to go through every single piece of ground, every single kind of centimetre square of ground, trying, looking and digging up with your fingers to see, make sure you get all these nasturtium seeds out. Otherwise, next year, it comes back triple, you know? And that's what I've been doing, going about in my knees, and that's why my trousers are all mucky. Because I was on my hands and knees out there picking up nasturtium seeds and clearing things and digging shit out and stuff. So it's been a... But... We have a bit of a thing on the farm because um, I know I know the neighbours don't really watch this. I think one of them does, but, but they're cool. So, yeah, I need a bit of editing for this bit. So the other day, there's a sign going up at the front of the farm, and it's a it's a kind of for lease thing, industrial buildings. And it, we've just discovered this week that the four agricultural sheds, which have been used as a document storage facility, which is was quite cool, it was all right, they're now being all shifted across. So we might have four separate buildings with light, in, light industry. So needless to say, this has caused a bit of kerfuffle in amongst the residential community of the little farm I live on. And uh, so there's lots of questions and there's been lots of kind of Neighbours meetings at socially distanced levels, of course. I'm kind of a big neighbours meeting, right? We'll have to have one of them Zoom call things. But, I mean, but yeah, so we've discovered that the four agricultural buildings are, um, they're all up for individual let, possibly. Uh, but they're really huge. And to be honest, I can't see anybody wanting them. But, you know, but there is that worry, the fact that, like, you know, when I moved here in, in uh, 1989, it was a working farm. And, uh, it's, um, and everybody else has moved in. You know, I was kind of one of the, the, the first to kind of, I bought the main house. And there was a couple of cottages around the back, but bit but bit, there's been other people built, well, developed houses here. And they're all converted farm buildings. So now we're kind of guide the fact that like, there's this kind of like potential small industrial estate going to be on the farm and we've got to drive through it and out of it every day. So that's all. Anyway, but the farm's in a mess. So, um, and I've always I mean the only time I ever really got tidied up was when I got, when I was on Gardener's World and it was discovered that and things happened, things were kind of tidied up a little bit, but they just get left, you know, it's just it's a shame. I always and I want to kind of do things and tidy stuff up, but you know, it's it's you know, it's frowned upon. So I got all my nasturtium seeds and uh and I threw them about a lot. <laughs> so uh yeah, a lot of them fell off the little wagon as I was taking it across to the, the bonfire place that we can't light at the moment because of social distancing. We're not allowed to gather unless we appear. Like, we're just one family at a time and phone people up on the phone like, sure, turn to the bonfire now. Go down, give us a shout, you know. So uh, anyway, so all this discussion. So hopefully next year, it'll be a you'll be able to see it from space. Just an entire ocean of nasturtiums. But as we point about nasturtiums, 
the seed of nasturtiums, if you put it in vinegar, uh, they're called poor man's capers. You can eat them and the flowers are edible as well. And the bees love them, which is another reason why I've thrown all this stuff about. So that's it. Bush Telfer, hello from Swindon. Yeah, man. Erica Jones. Uh, no, I'm not going to sing for you. Um, Ray Lambert. Oh, Sean Marshall. Open, what's this? Oh, yeah. Ian Backgradin. Da da da. Sean Marshall, open your wallet and get it, big man. Problem solved. Yeah, I mean, if I won Euro Millions, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do this. I'd, I'd, I love old buildings. I've said this before, if I ever won shitloads of money, right? It's like, I'd love to do up old buildings. I always hate watching old buildings just fall apart and, you know, they should be treasured, like old singers. Andy Lordlaw's Laidlaw, Scotland and Euros, Gan Dunty vandalise Wembley again. No, I don't think so. I never, I never saw Scotland ever win at Wembley. My, I used to go down with my dad on the on the sleeper train, right? And I used to, it was like, which was an experience. <laughs> so, so it was it didn't make sense. Scotland fans on a sleeper train didn't make. It was like it doesn't work. Nobody slept. It was just like lots of parties going on in all these rooms of drunk people getting off the, uh, you know. Bleary-eyed and hungover, getting off the train at, at, at King's Cross, and it was my uncle George used to live in there, so we always used to go up to my uncle George's because he lived up out near, he lived at Eel, and then he lived up near Wembley, which was great, right? But uh, every time I went there, we were gubbed. <laughs> I only ever saw Scotland when at Wembley on the telly. Every time I went, I was there at the five-one gubbing, right? That was it was like Stuart Kennedy from Rangers was in goals, and I. And we were, it was like we were only about 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the game. We were 3-0 down. It was like, oh, no. Oh. So, yeah, this is going to be an interesting Euros. Gene right. Hardy, Ray Lambert, Martin Schulter from Aschaffenburg. Good nabbed. <laughs> James Hope, when they phone you from such thing, buy some Roundup. Yeah. No, I, I, don't, I, I don't like using... I don't use kind of pesticides and stuff. It's, uh, um, I try and steal it. I'm not a saint, you know, but it's, uh, I mean, I will, I've used, when something's got really, really out of control, it's like I've, I've resorted to, to the, I've gone to the dark side, but it's very rare. And, um, you know, the weird thing that you find, right, is that when something goes awry, and for example, in assertions, we had black fly on them about two years ago and um it went nuts went, the, the, this black fly so pollen beetle stuff went crazy on this discussions and you go well what, what's going to happen and then suddenly predators hoverflies we had armadas legions of hoverflies appeared and it was like they suddenly disappeared and it always balances and um so that's why i try not to get in, involved in pesticides and I remember, oh God, when I used to work in, in forestry up at Speymouth, right? They used to send us out and uh, we, they, they used to, um, they used to, uh, I could say I can explain this. We used to go out and, and basically put uh, herbicide on um, bracken and goss, right? You know, really heavy duty needle, hard, 
serious shit stuff. It's awful, right? And it grows like crazy in some some places up, up north. A lot of places up north. But um, in some of the forests, there were some areas where they were wanting to plant up and things. And, you know, it was just covered in this really heavy, gorse, spiky, nasty, and the only thing that worked in it was this stuff that um, uh, it went in little small bottles and it went and from the small bottle there was a pipe went up right and at the end of this kind of thing a bit like my, my, my camera stand thing it was like a little pole thing and there was a disc that spun it <clears throat> and it spun so fast and the, the, the oil that came out of it was in such a fine spray, right? Well, this was what I was supposed to do. Right? Came up with a fine spray less than a micron or something, right? And basically, what you, you were supposed to do was you walked through, right? <laughs> you walked through the gorse forest, right? And basically held your hand in the air and sprayed all these, these, all this crap, right? Number one, the connections kept on breaking. Number two, the disc kept on stopping and blah, blah, blah. And it was a mess. And we were doing this in July, right? And we all had this serious kind of you know, big gloves and, you know, uh, hazmat suit and a kind of uh, headgear and stuff. Now I'm completely complicated, right? But, you know, and, then, and you're walking through with this kind of this perspex mask in front of you, right? And um, and it wasn't like a, a complete hood or anything like that. It was just a, a perspex mask and then you wore this kind of other thing around, around your shoulders. And it's July and you're walking through a forest of gorse, right? And this stuff was like, you know, I mean, even through, the, it was piercing the suits. It was like so, and you're trying to find your way and with, with this little spinning disc at the end, right? And of course, it was like then you'd end up because we were stupid, right? And we ended up like kind of you know taking off our tops and stuff like that and things like that and, and going about. And it was it was after the first day that I took off my top and then went back to the the cottage that I was staying in and I got in the bath and there was a film of oil over the the, the, the whole bath, right? And it was like, it freaked me out. And because seemingly this, this um, I should say, the pesticide itself, it was based on, uh, seemingly it was Agent Orange was its predecessor. So, and that was the, the defoliant that was used in, in Vietnam, right? And this, what we were spending this gorse was basically, it's like, you know, Agent Orange with a letter missing, right? Uh, Agent Orange, right? And, uh, and I was always scared for years after that, like, you know, it was, um, I was going to have some sort of major problem, health problem in my life. But I was only doing it for two days. But I mean, after that, that night with the oil, it was like when I threw the oil, but I was, I didn't care. I, just, I sweated. <laughs> I was just dripping. My wellies were full of water. <laughs> Let's spend this shit. But yeah, how do we get on to that? Anyway, oh yeah, you know, somebody was asking about, you know, the sessions. No, they will survive. And I've also got a load of Flanders poppy seed to throw about Simon. Yes, well, not to throw about Simon. But Simon, I have a lot of Flanders poppy seed that I've, I've accumulated in packs from the free packs from Grow Your Own magazine. So they're all going out as well. It will be a sea of colour. No. 
James, hope you'll feel better when Ipswich beat Celtic, which I think they will do. I don't know, mate. Football, I've got no idea. When I saw the, the Scotland-Serbia game, it was like, you know, it, it, <laughs> nah, I, I, I don't know. It's, um, Robinson Fogaccia, do you happen to know Italian prog music from the 70s as Museo Rosenbach? No. The only Italian band that I, I knew, well, I knew um, PFM, Photos of Ghosts, and I bought that album. I think I'd heard a track on Alan Freeman show. And I bought the Photos of the Ghost album, which was the English version, right? And years later, I bought the Italian version. And uh, it was a brilliant album. And I went to see them in about 1976. And met Frank and the guys a lot later on in my career. And they're really nice people. Really cool people. Was, uh, and who's there? It was at Banco. That was the other one, I remember. Right. You don't want to know what... Oh, Brambles have been able to... Oh, da, da, da. I'm moving it a little bit. Graham Ailing, looks like a ray of yellow light. Oliver Gogsha, hello from the Ronneberg Hills. Joyce van der Bark, I'd like to know where Ringo's based on because this album helped me through a lot of pain. I've done, Joyce, I did, I did kind of plague a while back. It's a one in the broadcast, which brings me into the thing. Um... We're kind of doing things with the website. Uh, um, when I moved to Fusemetrics, who do all the, the, the kind of the, the software that deals with the mail order side of things, they said the site moved across to them. But the thing is that like, we've we've realised that for a number of reasons, we need to kind of pull it back into Rob's sway because the tools that, that people use and Rob is used to using and has found a bunch of brand new tools. So we've decided to bring it back from Fuse Metrics into Crystal Spotlight. And this has got to do, there's a lot of things happening. I mean, it is, it is really strange, you know, having a, a, the new album out and, you know, we've got all the reviews and things and you're kind of just sitting here, you know. I mean, I should be out on the road now and, you know, or I should have been out on the road. And, um... And of course, you're exciting the album, and you're doing interviews, and you 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 feel like you're kind of moving it and doing things, and you know it's it's been strange this last week because you know there's been very very little for me to do. You know, this interviews are very few and far between now, and you know there's nothing. You just kind of sit there and just do the Facebook stuff and all the rest of it. And, you know, it's selling slowly and we're dealing with it and everything's cool and it's moving and stuff, but it's just very strange, you know? And, you know, it's it's only been out a couple of months and you kind of feel that <laughs> it's just flying about there on its own now, you know? It's, um, it's a very strange, you know, go, I mean, I've gone from being, you know, the artist like Simona's through in the office, like every day doing her stuff, dealing with, or so much crap, right? I mean, I have to walk away. I mean, I'm amazed, I'm amazed how much patience she actually has. We're having to deal with quite a few issues that you need, I even I had to look at and go, oh. And, um, but it's in all fronts. And, you know, I feel kind of, I've been out, I've been doing massive stuff and doing things for, you know, doing things in the house to help out and stuff. And then, of course, with the garden, you're trying to get out there. And, um, 
but it was uh, that's why the website is going to come more into play because we're thinking about doing a lot more things and releasing some of the old some of the old DVDs like the Poland one. I've got an idea. I've have to work out how we actually do it, but it's basically putting some of the old the old footage up on uh, the YouTube site because it's like I mean nobody really buys DVDs now, and you know the the. The Blu-ray that's going to come out with a visual remaster whenever that happens. That's what I want from Santa. That's what Santa, I want Santa. Santa, please, can I please get a license from Warner's to release Vigil next year? You know, that's what I'd really like for Christmas. And internal XL and stuff, but blah, blah, blah. But I mean, um, where was I? But the website's going to have to jump through a lot of stuff and deal with a lot of releasing. We, I want to put more information up on there as well to deal with the the, the remasters and the Clutching Live album. But we decided to bring it back under our sway so we could work it and it's easier to deal with and, you know, we're more and kind of... I've got direct contact with, contact with, with Rob Scarn about it, which I'm really happy about. And um, we know things will kind of happen. So, I mean... And that is all kind of tying in with something that we're kind of that's, we're going to be launching in the next two weeks. Um, I don't want to. I want to. Don't want to bust it all out at the moment, right? But um, we have one hour and thirty minutes of the Lemon Tree gig, and Stevie Vances has done what he's, he could do with it because it was only a two-track. It wasn't like a multi-track recording it was just a, it was just a death recording two tracks that um uh, radar steve kent my, my son engineer put in and he put it in late so we missed grace of god uh big wedge uh man with a stick i think that was it but all the other tracks are there and it, it's a warm-up i mean it's aberdeen it's the first first thing we played in a line rather than in a circle in the rehearsal rooms so you know it's the performance isn't what it would be like in about five shows but we never even got to the second Right, so it's the only thing we've got, and you know I don't want to put it out as a live album, but we've got a cunning plan, right? And I'm going to tell you more about that next week. But it's um, but it requires having the website, you know, um, very being very reactive. And I know that Rob will react to like you know whenever it needs to be done, pressed, pulled, and switched on, you know, it'll be there. But. So that's uh, the news about that. I sh I'll have that. I, I know exactly what's happening, but I don't want to announce it until kind of when we get probably next Friday, right? And then it will be announced properly on on the Monday. You'll find out all the bits and pieces. But um, it's uh, but that kind of ties up the Fish and Friday shirts. You know, thank you, Sandy and Rasmataz. It was uh, who would believe, right? That you're in a situation where it's like you know, like oh, can't find any black t-shirts anywhere in the world he's <laughs> just crazy it's like you know and um so we managed to get the order and Rasmataz and simon and and emma's and amy's stuff got the the thing all sorted out so even the five xls <laughs> we found five xls <laughs> so that's all happening so they should be they should be here at the end of the month but i'm not putting them up for pre-order because if people want all, you know, with, with the, the pre-orders and stuff, it's just kind of, it can m mess things up a little bit with the, the Velschmann's album. Things got a bit confusing, right? So what we're doing is we're just, it's just going to, once it's here, it's allowed, bang, out. 
So if people want to order the, 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 the old tour t-shirts and stuff like that, then they put them together, you save the postage, you know? So, the hat and the scarf, the bubbly heart, hat and the scarf, I've decided to forego on. It's, um, I read a lot of, there was a lot of, I put it up on Facebook for those of you who missed it, but so I went, it was an acrylic knitted hat. And it was set up and I wasn't very sure about it, you know, it, it wasn't something I'd wear, to be honest, really. Uh, not even for a laugh. <laughs> but, you know, there's, you know, there's a number of things where I go, I, I, bleh, I hate this, and, and people like it. So I put the image up and it drew mixed opinions, I'd say. Uh, and uh, I just thought, for you know, if we buy it, we've got to buy 300 and it's like, I know what's going to happen. I'll end up, you say, I'm 75, and like five years' time, you're going, oh, who's a box of bubbly hats? Before? How have we still got those? <laughs> and you don't want to be left with a box of bubbly hats. Mm. <clears throat> Any t shirt news after the size, sizes ideas on Facebook? I didn't see. Oh, the sizes ideas? Yeah, we got, they're all there. Small, medium, large, uh, extra large, double XL, triple XL, four XL, and five XL. Uh, oh. Ah, I fished from Minneapolis. And we're moving into the into the thing. I knew this was going to win this week. I just like no, and I knew it for a couple of reasons, which was really strange. There's a couple of. Um, there was just a couple of wee little Fellini things just poked me up. And one did it last night. And the, the weird thing was... Um, oh, James Hope. Fish, what's the spaceship through the skylight that is reflecting on your screen? You look like a video for Dark Side of the Moon. Do you know? The vid... The, the what? The spaceship. <laughs> All right. Humanities, have you forgotten you told us last week? Yeah, I told you last week, but I'm telling you again because it's, I couldn't remember how much I told you last week about the lemon tree thing. Um, Simona's down at the shop. She'll be back in a minute. She's got to get Daddy's special juice. Duke Parson, think his memory is filled. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Listen, doing this many shows, right, there are going to be some elements of repeatedness, right? I mean, even on the, the thing today, people were saying, like, oh, Shadow Play. Oh, that was two weeks ago, mate. Right? And, like, go for she goes, oh, that was three weeks ago. Uh, so, the weird things that happen. Well, I've been. Oh, I've got to show you this. It'll run out nice. This is one other thing that happened this week. We had, our builders came up from North Berwick. And we have a window in the mailroom. There's a window in the mailroom. Look at that. I decided that my, I decided that someone needed some daylight. <laughs> and we've been, we've been talking about this for, um, I've been talking about this for a, a, a long, long time. And I just said that, you know, because this used to be where, this was where the uh, the Studer um, 24 analog 2-inch machine, 
and the 32 inch uh, Mitsubishi, um, what was that, half inch? half-inch machine, the recording devices. This was actually the tape room. There was a wee half-inch machine in, in here as well. So it was, all, it was always a dark room, and that's why there's the glass on the, the window, because what used to happen was that this is where the big... where all this world of cardboard is now. This is where the engineer sat. So when the engineer was sitting here and they pressed record, he could turn round and look through the glass into the tape room and make sure that the tapes were running and they, they were turning around. But it was dark and it was crappy, and so we got this window put in, and it's just changed the whole place. And even my mum says, when she comes out of you know, for her room, and she goes through to the kitchen, and she says, it's amazing how, just to see this little place of daylight through on the other side. And it's opened up this whole side of the, the, the studio, which is kind of weird. And up there, I've got two Veloxes that were put in as well this week. So that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of chaos and things. So we were working around that. But up there, I've got two controlled Veloxes that when I do knock down this control room next summer, or when I basically gut it down to brick, we'll have two Veloxes up there already in place. But that window, I love it. And I've been having to apologise to Simona because it was... um. Um, I've been going on about it. <laughs> and I think she thought her old man was going nuts. Right? But I explained to her, it's like, you know, when I moved in here <clears throat> in 2001, when I moved from the main house, I moved into the studio. It was a studio. I told you this before. This, this whole place was just... It, it was just a big box. And, um... You know, the, the desk had gone as well. I mean, at that point, the, the main desk had gone, the speakers had gone, and it was just it was just like moving into a bunker, right? And my big dream at the time, you know, because, you know, my first wife and I, my first wife had, had left and gone to Berlin, and Tara had gone with her. And one of the things that had happened at, at that time was that... Um, I needed to forget a house, but I was busted, man. I was I was really busted, and um, and I, I had to turn it into a house. And I said to Tara when she left for, for uh, Germany, when she went away to Berlin, because she stayed with her mum for about four years. I mean, I saw her all the time because I flew across to Berlin. She came across and stayed for holidays with me. But the thing was, it was like I wanted. I said, "Let me turn this into a house, you know, f for us, you know." And that was it, and. You know, throughout the years, things have changed and, you know, someone moved in here in, in 2016 and made a huge change to the vibe of the place. I mean, you know, but physically, all the bits and pieces that have been changed, you know, for example, through there, when I took the roof up and took the cladding off and, you know, in the room where the fire is, when I, you know, bit by bit, it's kind of been reclaimed as a kind of residential thing. And that section through there, was kind of, um, it was one of the last kind of little places in the bunker, you know, little dark room. And just taking that window out was just, for me, it was a statement because it was another, it was it's the, like the kind of penultimate step because that window going in there means that the very last room 
that is to be basically converted back, or say converted back, basically brought back into like a, a home, is this room here. This room here is the last room. And it's like, it's, it is the bunker. It is the bunker. I mean, um, there's about a foot and a half insulation on all these walls. And, um, you know, when I put the window here, this was the back window. When I put that window in, which meant that my office was going to happen, it was, um, that was a kind of another breakthrough. But this window here just means that it's, this is the last change. And, uh, and it's, it's difficult to kind of express myself and, and get the emotions in here, which is what my wife thought I was going nuts about. But it was like, suddenly, it's like, you know, this place that I, 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 I took on way back in 2001 is, is very close to becoming a home. At the same time, and I know you, you, some, some of you will well up, but it's the same time as this Weltschmerz was the last album, you know, that, that will be made here. Right? And with that, with Weltschmerz being made and this control room signifying what it does will regard my life. You know, once I take this control room out, you know, there's a kind of slate white, you know, and this goes, becomes the new writing chamber, right? This becomes the library, the office, and as I said, that one window that went through there in the mailroom was just, it's just a, it's, it was one of the last of the dominoes, you know, to go down. So, and it's been special, you know? Uh, Mm. No, I'm not drinking mead. It's Erdinger. Ah, it's the reflection of the spotlight. I don't know what you're on about. I said, oh, this thing here. That's weird. That's a strange thing. The light, where is this light beam? Lightsaber. What is that? Maybe it's just something to do with the dust. Right. Six due to dirty lens. All oh, right, it's a dirty lens. My fault again. Robinson, Robinson Fogaccia, my dream is Fish and Peter Hamill recording one album together, Two Monsters of Poetry. We did work together. I sang on an album. I didn't sing on the album because I wasn't used. Yeah. I went down and... I went down and... Oh, God, when was it? It was... Uh, I think it was in the, the 90s to sing on uh, The Fall of House of Usher. The Fall of the, Fall of the House of Usher. The, this, rock, this opera that Peter had been working on. And I went down to sing with, with Peter for a few days and uh, it didn't work out. Basically, as he said politely, my voice sounded too similar to his. Uh, we remained friends, but it was uh, but I wasn't used. But it's difficult. I don't think I was technically gifted enough to really take it on. I think he was he was struggling, struggling with me and you know, to hit me really hard with a cricket bat, you know. It wasn't working. Fish, you need to do a tour of all your artwork. I don't do the artwork. Mark Wilkinson does the artwork. And Mark's tried a couple of tours and I don't think you'll get him out of the house to do a tour. Right. Uh, 
the yellow woman strip on the screen is doing my head in Deborah Casey. Right. Oh, but I, I, I can't, I can't clean the lens. No, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. If I touch that, it's all going to go wrong. I know it's all going to go wrong. Anyway. Okay. Drive safe. Don't forget Daddy's special juice. <laughs> uh, look, let's just just ignore this. Just ignore this thing, right? It is. It's not. Oh, I've not cracked the screen. I dropped the phone the other day. <laughs> oh no! No, it's a light thing. Stop it! Right, right. So I was telling you. There was a couple of wee Fellini things happened because the song, as you probably all know, that walked it tonight, and I knew it was going to walk it. It's Brother 52. And, uh, and it was really strange. It was like a couple of people had suggested it last week. So I thought, yeah, let's go for it. Right? And I put it up, and as soon as it went in my head, it's like, like this is going to win. Right? So... Because we've been cleaning out the mail room, right? Because I had to clean out the mail room because they had to put the window in, right? Through there in the mail room, there was all these big shelves that were where the window now is, right? And on these shelves were a load of old files. And it was accounts from 2004 and, I mean, just shite, right? That had basically accumulated in files as we all know they do and they just grow and grow and grow and eventually you got to go tread, 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 tread. And um, I hadn't done any kind of major shredding of docks for like a while. And they just accumulated. They'd just been put up and, and, and on shelves. So I had to clean them. So knowing that... How can I say this? Um, my previous secretary was not a particularly good filer, right? And a lot of times when I've gone into the files, all these kind of, you know clipboards for stuff, you know. The number of times that I find things, right, that are really, really important in the middle of a bunch of invoices, right, it happens a lot and there's a few things went, right. So, I had to sit down and go through basically folder after folder, you know, all these kind of big, you'll see them through there, I'll take them, when you see, the, I'll take you through year 52, you hear it, right? So, I'm having to go through all these folders. And it was in between, you know, rather when I was doing the nasturtium seed, right? So I'd go out and pick the nasturtium seed for as long as I could, which was like picking up little landmines, right? On my hands and knees in, a, in 50 square metres of land, wet, right? So when it got too wet, I came in and I basically went through these files. And... Sure enough, I did find something. Well, I found quite a few things, actually. It was like, Jesus, you know. <laughs> I've been looking for that for years. <laughs> and in amongst the files, on, it must have been Monday, I found this. You can't read it because it's wrong way round. I'll turn it that way round. This... 
was a letter that was sent from Oklahoma City right, on the 13th of January 1994. Right? And it said to the company Scotland at the old P.O. Box thing. Right? And it's from Rick Sumner from Oklahoma. Right? And in it, I found these photographs. Now, I haven't seen these for years, right? And you should be able to see them. That is Brother 52. That's Rick Sumner. And that's Rick with a massive gesture to do. I think you can probably just see it. Big gesture to two on his back. And he, he attacks loads of places. Right? And I'm hoping that Constant Story might watch this because these are coming to you. Okay? I'm sending these over. There's the gesture again on his back. There's the, the misplaced childhood boy on the arm, on the upper sleeve. Uh, and that is Rick Sumner, also known as Brother 52 and Doc Story, the man who tattooed Brother 52. That is the two of them. And I found this photograph by pure chance the other day in the back of a file. Right? Oh, I'm getting too much reflection. But that's them. Um, and I'm going to read you this. Right. Greetings from the colonies. I thought I would drop you folks a few lines and send some pictures of my ongoing tattoo work. Too bad the quality isn't up to stuff. I'll have a semi-professional take the next batch. Con congratulations on the release of Outpatients 93. I received my copy and was duly impressed with both packaging and contents. Fishy Records, it's off and running. Hooray. And how about the company in North America betting on, bet getting off to a rousing start? I'm simply amazed. Day by day, we're getting stronger. I joined the company USA and when my membership is due, I'll rejoin the Scotland branch. How exciting so much all coming together at last. This should be a very educational and eliminating year. I can hardly wait till Suits is released. Who knows, one day soon I may actually be able to see Fish live and rocking them down here in the States. Of course I would love to travel to Scotland and see Fish in his turf, but that's just a wishful thought right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Well, I will close for now and we'll wait for your reply. Thanks a lot for the Christmas card. It and my copy of Outpatients arrived on the same day. What a deal. Yours truly, Rick Sumner. P.S. One picture has me and my tattooist. His name is Doc of Harlequin Productions. And I found that just a few days ago. And like I said, that's Doc in 52. Right? And it was like... I, I couldn't believe it. And I'm going to be sending this back. I'm going to send this over to uh, Constance because Constance is um, 
Doc's widow. Doc very sadly died, but that's, I'll come to that. So, but this is weird. And this, this is the very tattoo gun that Doc tattooed Brother 52. The very gun. And you probably recognize that because that was the cover of the 50, the Brother 52 single when it was released. But it's a really old tattoo gun and it actually still works. A friend of mine tried it and it still works. And Doc gave this to me on this Sunset Tour of America. But how it all happened? Last night, I mean, just before, last night there was a thing came on and it was about North Dakota. And I was like, whoa, there was another one. I don't be Fellini touch, you know? But... Rick used to send us letters. Who's Brother 52, Rick Summer, used to send us letters into the, into the fan club. But, you know, the days before emails and, and stuff and, you know, and I... Uh, and I always used to be amazed that I've still got them somewhere. I think they're up in the, the attic above my mum's bedroom where I keep these boxes of kind of old memorabilia and stuff, like weird things. You know, one day I might bring them out. But he used to send, me, send us these layers, right? And he'd charm them around the edges, right? And they'd yellow the paper so they looked like old manuscripts, right? And they were really lovely letters, you know? And... um We'd get maybe one every kind of couple of months or something, you know, and it would come in and we'd sit and read them and they were they were, they were little pieces of art. And the, the the writing on it was was um it was kind of scrolled, you know, it was it was very it had an atti a lovely attitude to it, you know. And it was always really pleasant things. And um and the next thing years later it was, must have been about 1995, edging into 96, I think it was. Uh, dogs got in touch and wrote a letter and said that it was kind of sorry to tell us that, that 52 was dead. And he kind of hinted at various things in this letter. And, uh, and then he, he, he kind of... Um, he said there was a lot of nefarious stuff going on. And I was intrigued. And I got the explanation. And that was kind of where I decided to go for the song. And the, I had this idea, the tattoo, tattoo, tattoo thing, as, as a kind of rhythmic vocal percussion kind of vibey thing. That was your I liked that and that attracted me. The subject matter kind of attracted me. Another thing, if I can find it. Yes, I can. It's going to be. At the time, roughly the same time, I was dealing with a lot of kind of. Um, 
personal issues and I needed a bit of guidance. And I had a very good friend called Jackie Levin, who was friends with, or the ex-partner of Judy Totten, who was involved with my press and we'd become great friends. And she introduced me to Jackie. Jackie was from Fife, he was a Scottish guy. And Jackie was very up on um, male psychology and and I spoke to him a couple of times. And he, he was the guy that I actually spoke to at Fife Aid, right? It was Judy and, and Jackie were there up at Fife Aid and it was Jackie that I reached out to um, about, you know, about the whole Marillion thing, about how I was feeling about everything, and it was, which was a, a major moment. I mean, it was like three months later, two months later, it was, you know, I, I decided to walk. But um, but Jackie Levin turned me on to a lot of poets and kind of male thinkers, one of them being Robert Bly, and he also pointed me at this, this book, and it's called King... Warrior, Magician, Lover. I know it's reversed, but it's called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. Lover, Warrior, Magician, King. And it says, a, a bold map for traveling the masculine psyche, right? Rediscovering the archetype of the mature masculine, right? And it's a huge book. The best-selling, widely herald, heralded Jungian introduction to the psychological foundations of a mature, authentic, and revitalized masculinity. Man's man, and it's and it's it's about the different stages of how you how you, you achieve it. It's about it's it's very difficult to explain, but it's as if the male attitude is like a pyramid, and it's how you, you it's how you you move the pyramid and how you access the different faces and sides, one is warrior, there's somebody that fights for something, the lover who beguiles, the magician who stands there and creates magic, obviously, and the king who stands in control of it all. And in certain situations, you have to be able to access that part of your personality and move around them. And, and you know, you need to, anyway. I was intrigued by this book and it really helped me out. And I was kind of questioning uh, my own kind of attitude as a male and, you know, in the, on the planet. And Brother 52 walks in my life and Doc walks in my life and Doc tells me this story in a, in a letter about kind of what happened in a kind of vague way, as I said. And I'd started writing this, this song that was kind of about what, what he told me and I started putting it all together and I phoned Doc up out of respect and I just phoned him up and I said look I want to do this song I want to call it Brother 52 blah 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 how do you feel about this and he went wow he said you have the blessing go ahead and do it and um, I started working on it and when we started putting the whole groove together and stuff I wanted to use a voice on it, and I, yeah, it had to be Doc's voice. And I was here with Elliot, Elliot Ness, Elliot Singerman, and we were through in the office. And we'd basically said to uh, Doc that we'd phone him up on a certain date, a certain time. Yeah, yeah, cool. So I phoned him up and blah, blah, blah. And what you hear on the thing is exactly what happened. 
do you mind if we record this? Yeah, sure, man. Well, hey, you know. And um, that was the first time I talked to him. And he told us the story. And it kind of lined up and helped me get the rest of the lyric together as well. But basically the story was, I don't know a lot of details, so I'll avoid some specifics, right? But the story is related to me by Doc was that um, him and Rick, Brother 52, right, they were in a, a bike gang, right, and they were in Oklahoma. Um, they were outlaws, right, and as far as, you know, their attitude to life, you know, was that Midwestern kind of thing. But, I mean, you could hear from the letter that I read you. You know, this wasn't, you know somebody who was at all challenged in any way. He was a very literate man, right? And they were in Oklahoma and, and basically they decided to move to LA because they were having hassles there. So the two of them got on their bikes, motorbikes, and went across to LA. When they were in LA, uh, they ran afoul of the, the, the three strike crew, or they were on two strikes which basically was that um, they had, it was something to do with drugs and it was something to do with firearms. And they were both facing the three strikes rule, which meant if they were convicted again right, of any other offence, they were going straight to prison. Right? And they knew they were going to be going in for a while. So they decided to come all the way back. and went back to... Uh, Oklahoma. When they were in Oklahoma, they were still they were kicking around, blah blah blah, and um, and basically, Brother Fifty Two right was saving up guns. He was collecting guns, and he was collecting a lot of guns, and it wasn't just guns. There was explosives and stuff as well. And this is where it all gets vague. You know, it's what Doc tells me, what I remember, what Doc told me, and things like that. But the, the story was that he had a lot of guns and it was drawn attention of the ATF, the alcohol, tobacco, firearms, tobacco and firearms mob in America. And they wanted to know more about it. And basically what I was told was that the ATF went along to uh, um, Rick's house, Brother 52's house. And as you can hear on the dialogue that is delivered on the recording. Basically, a firefight ensued. And they basically, they went to get the guns. Rick 52 wouldn't let them in. Firefight kicked off. Firefight kicked off. Doc wasn't there, right? And seemingly they broke into the house. Doc alleged that his hands, his fingers were broken up, that they were hit by a hammer because they were trying to torture him to find out where he had hidden all the guns or who was involved with them, da-da-da. And then Brother 52 was shot through the head and the ATF declared it as a suicide. And as Doc says on the tape, you know, he would never have done that. He just wasn't that kind of guy. And, um, and what happened after that was that the bike gang and a lot of people thought that it was uh, Doc that had given 52 up, that he'd given, he'd basically snitched on him. And he was a, became a persona non grata, right? 
and he had to leave and he went down to North Dakota and trying to start up a tattoo shop and by this point he had his wife and he had a daughter on the way who was going to be called Kaylee right. and Doc and Connie went down to South Dakota and that's where they kind of hold up and they started to operate a tattoo shop from, from there and that's what they were surviving. They were basically hiding away and things and Doc had to stay really, really low. And when I phoned him up that day and when Elliot and I were sitting there, we had a full tape. And But we had, I mean, there's actually, I've, I've actually found the dat and it's in a big box over there and I need to kind of pull that off at some point, pull that sound, sound off. But it was about 15, 20 minutes and, and Elliot cut, we cut it all up so that we could get the whole, the, the meat of the story across and, and, and get the sound bites that, that made it all happen, that made sense of it all. But that was what it was, you know, on the trailer tone at Twisters, you know, from, you know, from LA in Oklahoma. And th that was the story of, um, that was the kind of story of Doc in 52 and how it came that's how the single came to be and like i said the the, the war the lover warrior magician king thing was um it was tied into this masculinity and it was like you know it, i was questioning what was a man you know and you know how far as i trying to get across the song i don't i don't agree with, with the gun thing but i understand where he was coming from you know and I was trying to embrace all that internal questioning within that song, you know? And at the end of the day, it was all about people. And as I said, I mean, Rick I never, Rick I never knew. I never ever spoke to Rick, you know? I wrote a couple of things back a long time ago, but it was uh, but it was Doc that became, you know, part of it all. And he kind of, being the song, and he loved, what we were, I remember sending him across the, the, the finished song and he was blown away by it. He thought it was absolutely brilliant. And then um, what happened was, when we went across to America on the Sunsets and Empire tour, um, Jim Potolsky was looking after me. He was my kind of American consultant, you know. And I was signed to this company called Viceroy Records. <laughs> right. I don't know if it's the same ones. I actually, I was Googling them today to find out. I, I don't even know if it's the same company, but um, they didn't help matters much. Uh, and um, the tour started in Pittsburgh and Doc was going to come along to the Pittsburgh show. Right? He said, I want to come and tour with you. And the reason he wanted to come and tour with me because he wanted to paint me. He wanted to put a, a tattoo on me. And the thing was that during the, um, when we did the single, right, that, that's what I wanted to do. I already had, I already had a couple of naff tattoos. One I got in Hanover with a, the ha Hamburg was the first one, which is the yin and yang one, a wee naff yin and yang that goes across a scar that I've had since I was a kid. And the other one was, a, um, it's a, a, a really thin pen, really thin lined kind of Indian thing that was put on Hanover. But they had decided, that for the Brother 52 video, right, I was going to get tattooed. And we found out that nobody had ever been tattooed live, you know, on a pub video before. So we thought it's a press angle. And I met up with this guy called Bim. And he was from Wishaw. 
and I went across the Bims to Two Parlour. We talked about it and we came up by design and stuff. He was a lovely bloke, really nice guy. And um, we went across to this, this to Two Parlour in Wishaw that had uh, a lot of his mates came along and stuff. And we got people in to do the video and it was all filmed by guys for Dundee and I've forgotten his name, I'm sorry. But um, he filmed it and down in Wishaw in this amazing to Two Parlour with these incredible characters. I'm there and I was pissed the night before and I got driven down. So when they were putting, when when I was actually getting inked up, when I was getting needled up and stuff, I was like bleeding like a bastard. <laughs> Mouth it off the lyrics. Brother 52, mime ya bastard. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I had this tattoo, which is some dodgy Egyptian hieroglyphic thing that means nothing what I thought it did. <laughs> but it's there forever. <laughs> A warning, children. <laughs> and, uh, so Bimid did this one, and Doc said, when you come across to America, I'm going to ink you up. And I went, brilliant. And it was like, great, this is just perfect. And we arrived in Pittsburgh, and it, it was... Uh, uh, our first night in America, it was it was special. I mean, we were in the States again, you know. Yes, we're back, right? With an album that we really thought, we thought the Viceroy Records were going to, we were going to get something moving here. You know, we were going to get proper albums in proper shops and proper distribution and, you know, everything was going to be great and like blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's what we rode in on. So, we're in Pittsburgh and it's Jim Patelsi's hometown, right? Great little venue, lovely, lovely little theatre. Soundcheck goes off, right, and then, um, and then, the next thing is that Doc arrives, <laughs> and he walks into the the crowd, right. He, he walks in, into the crowd, and just lets off all these balloons. He had he had like about, uh, he, that was it. He had fifty two balloons, like with the. Uh, the gas all popped up, right? Helium balloons. He had 52 balloons, every one of them with 52 on them, right? And he let off the 52, 52 balloons inside this venue in Pittsburgh when we started the gig. And it was just like, welcome to the USA. It was just brilliant. And that night, we were told after, there was a power cut, right? And basically, the every single block in Pittsburgh went off that night, went down, apart from the block that had our venue in. It was the only place that had electricity in the middle of this huge power plant. And it was, we just felt it was kind of blessed. And JJ uh, Bell was our guitarist at the time. Um, Mickey Simmons was on keyboard. Steve Ansis had just joined before that tour. And, um, and, uh, and Squeaky Stewart was on, um, on drums. And Yatta was with us. And of course, Yat and Doc got off brilliantly, right? And we got and I remember the first the first time I, when I sat down with Doc and, and sat on my own with him in the dressing room for about an hour. He was just such a wonderful character. He was just a brilliant character, and we became great friends. And you know, and he was, and he was he was ours for the rest of the tour. You know, it was like, and he followed us all across America in this kind of little uh, SUV, I think they're called, you know, and it had a tattoo shop in the back and he had racks and racks and racks of folders with all these um, inkings, all these drawings of things that he can do, right? Like racks of them, right? 
and all these inks and them guns and you know everything well I have the guns <laughs> so and it was him and I can't even remember the name of the guy and I'm sure Steve Vances is going at the moment I think it was was it Dave right and he was a really silent guy didn't really say much right but he was Doc's minder right and it was this wasn't Boy Scoutsville right you know this was not Boy Scoutsville but Doc says, you know, did it out. I wanted to to you guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. Starts giving us the books. So our tour bus starts to become full of these bloody tattoo books, reams of them. And at night, after the gig, everybody would just be sitting in the back and be going, oh, look at this one. That's a good one. Us. Look at that, a rabbit. That's, a, that's two shaggy rabbits. Maybe, no. Look at that. Oh, there, Popeye. There's Popeye there, right? And that's what they did, just looking through the books. Meanwhile, Yatta, the tattoo hog, it's straight and yeah, I'll have it too, right? And it says, just do what you want, right? So Doc starts putting this tattoo in, on Yatta's arm. And it starts off in backstage areas, you know, in the middle of the day and stuff, right? And then it was like, you know, and then because we had an American bus driver that had to get so much sleep in a hotel and we got left in, in rooms, day rooms and things. And that was what they did. Doc and Yatta were in the room all the time, they're drinking tequila, getting off their faces, right? And Doc starts putting this to do. It gets more and more elaborate as the days go by. And it's like, yeah, look, give it the wolves, and then the moon, and then put this up, and there's the sunset, and like, it was great. And Yatta's sitting there, and, the, and Yatta's like, you know, v vodka and tequila and stuff. He's just sitting there going, yeah, blah, 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 talking, let me tell you about this, man, like, you know. Two, it was great, but this tattoo was like the never-ending bloody tattoo and it went on all the way through the entire american tour and we ended up flipping up into seattle which was they got stopped we did vancouver but they got stopped in the suv on the canadian border for some reason or other right and um and i think it was like they decided not to go across the american villain and come back in because of the paperwork if you know what i mean so we met up with them in seattle and in in the middle of seattle before the gig Doc's driving in, right, from the Canadian border, and then he hits a bus in the middle of Seattle, right? And um, the cops, like, pull him over, and the stuff in the van, man, right? And we were in the... I was in the gig at that time, and suddenly it all broke loose, that, you know, blah, 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 Doc's been done, and, like, you know, this is it, and with Doc's past, it could have got nasty. And, uh, and we had to bail him out. <laughs> we had to bail Doc in his SUV out, and he was really pissed because... When they got the SUV back, there were things missing from the van. And I don't need to see any more children, right? But there was stuff missing from the van, right? And we ended up getting down to the Hyatt House, right? Which is known as the Riot House in LA. It's a big hotel, the Hyatt House, on Sunset. And, you know, it was a notorious hotel in the 70s, right? And it was where, on the rooftop of that hotel, actually, was where they filmed the the end scenes in Spinal Tap and, and things when the other band were on the, you know, going about, like, you know, so-and-so's run away, right? So we were in the Hyatt House, the Riot House. We did the gig in LA and we were flying the next day, right? And Yattis the two still wasn't done and he had to get it done. And, um... <laughs> And all I remember, right, is after the gig, going up about two o'clock in the morning, and uh, 
and there was Doc and Doc's wife Connie had come across and the kids had come in, Kaylee had come in, right? And there was this whole ragamuffin kind of outfit in this room in the high house. And there's Yatta off his face, sweating like a lunatic, right? And he's, he's getting the last part. The duck's out, off his face, going like, and they were still doing it until about four in the morning, five in the morning, right? Still finishing off his tattoo before we had to leave for the airport at nine. And I just remember we were completely off our faces. And it was, it was Doc, and then he was his, his side man, and, and like I said, Connie, an angel who was like some girl who didn't have any identification on her that they picked up at the Alaskan border. <laughs> some, some sort of shit. <laughs> And she'd ended up in the back of the van and like, you know, she was, you know, somebody's friend, you know, somebody's special friend. <laughs> Not mine, I might add. And uh, and that was it. And I was talking and we kind of like all hugged and kissed goodbye and stuff. And like, and yeah, I was there with the two, which I've always hated him for. Right? <laughs> He's always gone. He was like, you know, yeah, yeah, the doctor to you, but chill. But yeah, I got his tattoo, and uh, and it looks really cool. It looks really cool. And then we came back, and I came back into like you know, we we came back into a real mess. And um, the tour was it was a really long tour. The hundredth gig on that tour was in Carlsruhe, and uh, I always remember that. And I think the final count on the Sunsets tour was about 156, 157 shows. It was ridiculous. And it nearly killed us. And I saw, I actually saw the, um, the kind of, the, the, not the itinerary, but the, the, the gig list earlier on. And I just went, why did I do that? And then you get to this bit where you get the pole and it goes, voice gone, you know, and I got hit by, I got hit by some bug that completely took me out in, in, in Krakow. But in fact, I think that gig, it was it was viral laryngitis, and I, I think it was like I pulled the gig before we went on stage. It was just a, a, I think I went on stage. I went on stage, and I pulled it after. Two, I walked off after two numbers. Just said, I can't do this. I couldn't sing, and it was a really stressful tour. That's when I went round on my knee in Barcelona. That's another story, and uh, and I I took a massive financial hit, and I'd spent everything on the album and. Um, you know, creating the album and blah 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 blah. You know, but uh, but the the tour we got we got a, we took a massive hit in France, and there was all just crap. And I came off the end of the tour and I'd lost a fortune. Right? I mentioned this before. If you actually look at the the Yog uh, Bushka, um, uh documentary thing that's on the back of Sunsets, um, um. On that one, this Yatta and I, and it was in uh, Colm. And um, we got told that we were down about 80 or 90 grand. And it was like, do we continue or do we not? And I was like, this, I'll repeat this. But it's like, yeah, let's go ahead. Bang. Anyway, so I came off the tour. It was all going really, really horrible. And um, I was in crisis. And... That was a bit when we put, I think we put, first put, put the house in the market. We've, and my then wife and I put the, the house in the market. That was really bad days. And Tara always remembers this, right? And she was really frightened because she'd never seen me like that before. But I mean, 
the stress that was on me was was absolutely incredible. And uh, and I got a bloody phone call, and Doc had died of liver cancer, and I was just bent, completely double, you know. And I went out into the garden and. I remember being on all fours in the garden and just howling like a wolf. And Tara came out to see me and she just freaked out. And I was, it was like, oh, you know. And um, it was just, it was just bad times, you know, after everything. But I mean, but the one thing I've got is just, I've just always remember Doc's smile, you know, and and the fun and the laughter that we had in that tour. You know, every day, it, was, it just, you know, <laughs> it just blew me away all the time. And it was uh and even now, when I when I hear the you know when I heard the the song this afternoon, I was bopping through there this afternoon. I'm going like, God, remember us now. But, but there's loads of stories from that too. <laughs> that was a great one. But it's quarter past. Without further ado, I'll walk you through. Oh yeah. And I've this, I found this as well. This was in the in the kind of thing. That was Doc's business card. There are tattoos. Then there are tattoos. Harlequin Inc. Out of town. By appointment only. Right, now let's see if we get rid of this yellow thing. Aha! It was a light thing. It wasn't greasing the lens. Oh, is it? No, it's just a greasing lens. Okay, go through. Hey, honey. Dad's home. <laughs> Candles have been lit for you as well. What is it? Oh, look, it's another beam thing. So, adjust the candle level. Oh, no, I don't need candle level today. Do we? Do 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 Oklahoma, see the flatlands from LA, from 
thing on this album the guy that played fiddle on 52 was none other than Scottish violinist, violinist Martin Bennett who also sadly died of cancer uh, quite a few years ago so it was the two of them but it's uh, yeah it kind of still gets to me here when I hear Doc's voice and stuff alright so um, oh no this was it's going to come straight down on me Oh, look. Me. 
Yes, I don't know. I don't know which where's the which camera do you rub? Oh no. <laughs> Shit. I promise you I'll get it clean next week. One of the other things that's happening, by the way, on the the website now now that it's gone back to Crystal Spotlight, is that um the Facebook feeds are gonna go up there, the Twitter feeds are gonna back up the gear that used to be there on the old on the before we switched across. So have the Facebook feeds and all the rest. It means it's going to be a little bit easier to move things around and stuff. And also, um, Rob's putting up an entire library of all the Fish and Fridays. So they'll all be up there, which is going to be kind of weird. <laughs> so you ever get, if I get bored, you'll have 50 hours of Fish and Friday to watch, you know? Huh? Yeah. Yes, Laurie Fairweather. Yeah, Martin Bennett played on, uh, he played on a couple of tracks on, on, on the album. Oh, no. Oops, glass cleaner. Ah, glass cleaner. Oh, shit. Ta-da! <laughs> 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 oh no, have I just muddied up the lane? No, it's alright, it's alright. James Hope, if you search Lover Warrior Magician King on YouTube, there you will find narration of the book. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. But please also buy the book and read it in your own time as it's intense but so inspiring. Fish, your explanation to this track is one of the best moments in the Fish and Friday. Love you, football. Thank you, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's a great book. It's. Um, I got, like I said, through Jackie Levin, again, who's sadly left us. Uh, Jackie introduced us to uh, Robert Bly, who's worth having a read if you can check out some of his books. I think it's good. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, again, coming back to the situation we're in, you know, and, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, mental health and, and you know, how it deals with, I mean, I've spoken to, I was speaking to a friend of mine I hadn't talked to for years the other day and in the music business and, you know, and yeah, I could hear it in his voice, you know, and, you know, we do, you know, I try and call up my friends and, and call up musicians and things, you know, every kind of week, couple of weeks, because, you know, it, it's, I mean, I, I know myself, it's, it's like, you know, I, I go, like everybody, you don't have to be a musician to go through it or a crew guy to go through it, but I mean, it's like, you know, there's sometimes when you get incredibly despondent. I mean, just, you know, it's like a fucking pack of black, black dogs. You know what I mean? It's, uh, but, you know, I've just got to get through it. Like I said, I mean, I'm very lucky that I've got a garden out there and, and gone out and played with my nasturtium seeds and casting them all the sundry and the far and the plenty. You know, that kind of keeps me going. And I think you, know, you have to keep focused. But, I mean, you know, I've found it interested in that period in the 90s when I was under a lot of pressure when I was dealing with like so much marital stuff and my daughter and the finances and the house it used to get me so down I mean so there was bad bad times and that was why I kind of went in to discover more about it and how I felt and how to get out of things and you know it's 
you know, finding books like that, especially if you're a guy, because I mean, that's why the, the campaign against living miserably started, CAMS, which I'm also a member of. And, um, you know, because people always assume that, you know, guys, you know, it's always this alpha male, like, you know, hey, I could get through this and stuff. A lot of people can't, and there's no shame in actually admitting that you do have a problem. And, you know, I have had really bad problems with depression and other stuff throughout my life. And I'm lucky I can write about it and I can, you know, and I think in Brother 52, there's a lot of me in there. There's a, you know, as a journalist friend of mine said, you know, everything's internalized that I've, I've kind of done in a lot of ways. And it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, it helped me through some kind of weird and sticky moments. And, you know, just, you know, not being afraid to talk, you know, is a very important thing. And not being afraid to share your feelings with, with people that you know. And like I said, I mean, we're coming up to the worst time of the year. I mean, I'm not a fan of Christmas, not really. You know, I appreciate it. What I like about, I mean, the thing is, what I really love about Christmas is the one thing that we're gonna find really difficult to get this Christmas, which is basically family togetherness, or us, so it looks like. And it's, um, and uh, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I mean, I know that, you know, we've been looking at ways and means to, to get Samora's family and stuff together, and it's just so difficult. It's so difficult. And we have to be incredibly careful. You know, I mean, we just have to be so fucking careful. And, um, you know, like I said, we're, my mum's through there, 88 years old. Simona's mum's, you know, in her, her 70s. Her dad's in her 70s. You know, there's a lot of vulnerable people around. And, you know, or we don't want any chink in the armour to allow anything to kind of get in. And uh, we have to be... Um, we can't be selfish at all about it so and it's the same it's the same dilemma that so many other people are going to be facing up to I mean I was talking to my neighbours again you know one of my other neighbours and he's got daughters that you know they're trying to work out you know and like again one of them's living on her own and um and it's difficult you know it's shite you know but as I said thank god for nasturtium seed and fun oh Cloud Polvin, I've never seen you so clean. It's just the shine. It's just that shine. And I've, I, I'm, I should have shaved. I apologise for not shaving. I'll have, I'll be I'll be barbed by next week. You know? uh, Saudi. Oh yeah, female. Oh wait a minute. Shit. I've got to tell you what. Uh, what will I do first? What will I do first? I'll go through. Come on. Come on. This, by the way, is the only picture that we, we have in the house. That's the only one we've got in this in the living space. It's one of my favourite ever photographs. I've just gone through it and get the vape. And then you have to do this, the food stuff. Do you need me for anything? I'll just go through and you get... No, because i got a list of things. There's that window again, isn't that brilliant? <laughs> See that windy? I love that windy. I really love that windy, so I do. Right, so here again. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, here we go. Yeah. So a couple of things. Uh, Greg Haylock. Hi, fish. It's gone dark. 
Hi, Fish. Could you please wish my wife Pamela a happy 11th anniversary for tomorrow? We've never missed a fishing Friday since it started. Thank you, Greg. There you go. So happy anniversary, you two. This is great. Reverend Jolly. Um, uh, Neil Broughton, looking forward to listening tonight. It's my birthday. I should be partaking in a few ales from my local microbrewery. Oh, so happy birthday, Neil Broughton. And remember, stay away from the mead. <laughs> um, Terry Cook, back on antibiotics for infections through diabetes. Up at the Hossie Hossie, still won't miss you, big man. Cellulitis. Terry Cook, take care, man. Um, da -da -da -da. What's the other ones? That was it. That was the birthday ones. That's all I wanted to get in. But, um, but yeah, so, and it's another. Another Fish and Friday. Yeah, it's another Fish and Friday. And. Donald Trump's still there, <laughs> complaining. I can see trying to get him out of the warehouse is going to be like trying to get John Beck out of a hotel room on a day off. <laughs> Mr Beck, sir, you've only got the room till 12. It's three o'clock. You've got to go now. I'm just showering. <laughs> be out in a minute. Do, do, do. Mr Beck, sir, another half an hour's passed. You should be out of this room. It's half past, half past three. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm, getting, getting, I'm just getting my suitcase. <laughs> Come in. Uh, yeah. Dominic Joseph, the production manager. We remember that well. Remember Bulgaria. <laughs> Come in. Send in the right squad. But yeah, so we got... Um, I've just, I just can't believe it. It's like... I, I, I watched American news, you know, we could be the political situation, the coronavirus situation. I just go, what? Right? It's just unbelievable. And you just see the numbers piling up, stacking up. And it, as I said, you know, just, you know, just last night there was a thing about North Dakota and they were saying, you know, this place is going mental, you know. It's, uh, when you see the numbers and you see that the, the rise, it's, it's really scary. And the guy, my agent, I was, I was talking, my old agent that I was talking to the other day, he was, uh, you know, he was saying, you know, they're staring at 2022 has been the start point. It's highly unlikely that anything's going to happen in 2021. And, um, but, you know, he was saying, that, like, with American bands, I mean, you know, American bands aren't going to be able to come across here for ages. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, one of the things you've got, you've got to realise is like, you know, for example, if you're a big American touring band carrying a, a good sized crew, you know, like a, an arena band, you're, you're looking at like a 20 plus crew and how you can come across and bring 20 plus crew and the band and all the associates and stuff like that and put them in hotels in isolation in separate rooms for two weeks to get through it before you can even start a tour. I ain't going to happen, right? And, uh... You know, and yeah, my friend was saying it was, we're talking exactly about, you know, what I'd been on about weeks before about, you know, we can't go on a tour and, and suddenly get told that such and such a country or, or this batch of cities have all gone, you know, and um, we can't do that, you know, so, fact, you know, but it's, uh, I'm just wondering whether, you know, will we actually have 
you know, Biden, you know, the handover actually happened. I don't mean the, the official kind of January 20th, whenever it was, but I mean the actual seeding of, of the presidency, all that will happen. I just, I just can't believe it. And uh, Giuliani the other day. <laughs> yeah, that was unfortunate. That's why I've never dyed my hair. For those of you who didn't see it, he, was, he did the broadcast and uh, he was on about um, uh, seemingly it was something to do with. Uh, because he's the lawyer for um, President Trump's um, kind of, he's putting all the the, 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 the legal claims in against Pennsylvania and Michigan and blah, 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 and Georgia, you know, all which I've said, you know, Mr. Biden won, Biden president-elect, right? And Giuliani's still at the fine. But he had the unfortunate thing yesterday during the statement about how something to do with Venezuela and Chavez, that was something to do with Castro and some firm that was involved with a Canadian firm and voting machines and like, you know, they're saying that like, there's some major conspiracy going on. And it's like, you know, that they've, 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 they've done something to the voting machines. They're counting them all wrong, right? And he's there. And you, you, it was just an embarrassing, it was, it was just an embarrassing TV appearance. It was doubled by the fact that he started to sweat and his dye, his hair dye started to run down his face, right? <laughs> he's got the black dye under his face. You don't want that. <laughs> live TV, and you also don't want a couple of Republican guys on the Zoom channel that they thought their rights were dead on going and laughing at them, going, man, look at the guy's hair. <laughs> don't want that. <laughs> I'll stick to white or off-grey. <laughs> but yeah, it's just nuts. I just, I just can't believe it. It's, uh, you know, it, just, it just goes on and on. And, you know, there was a thing came up about, so this diary or something, the legislature's diary, President Trump's diary, it was like, you know, uh, nothing scheduled, nothing scheduled, lunch, <laughs> lunch with the vice president, nothing scheduled, nothing scheduled, for days, right? And it's like, you know, I just, I just find it, it's insane, you know? I, I can't understand it, but at the same time, I mean, you know, like I said, that stuff, you know, it's just some kind of, you know, TV drama, but on the other side, you know, this, the COVID thing is just, it's just horrendous, you know, when you look at the numbers, over 250,000 people dead, you know, it's just frightening, and, you know, in Scotland, I mean, we're now, we're now in a thing where, you know, East Lothian has gone down, and uh, tonight from six o'clock, we're number two, so we can't go down to, um, we can't go to other people's houses and stuff, I know, uh, and, we can't drive to Edinburgh, you know, we cannot go up from our kind of area, we cannot drive anywhere near the city. So, uh, and they're finding people. And I agree with it. And there's been all this kerfuffle about, oh, Scotland, England, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, you know, you can't do this. We can, right? And the same with the car, if it had been, you know, Cumbria that had been, you know, overwrought and the, the same goes other ways. This is not a nationalist thing, this is just, an area community thing in the same way as like my daughter is across the other side of the fourth and we cannot see each other until this goes past right can't see each other she can't travel down there she'll be fine you have to do it you know radar steve kent you know my sound engineer is now working as a postman right he's now a postman he works for the royal mail and this is where we're at uh, this is where my musicians and my crew are at you know uh, Liam Holmes is driving fleet cars from spots to spot across the UK for minimum wage. Um, you know, this guy studied, you know, in the Royal College of Music, and he's a brilliant piano player. Um, 
you know, this is where we're at. And we ain't going to get out of it until we get the rates down. And if it means shutting down things and not seeing people for a while, I'll take that. And I'd like to think that other people would accept that and not be selfish about it all. Well, so it's, I don't know. Yeah. One of them things. Darling, I think we need some lightness after all that. Darling. Could you bring, could you bring Daddy's special juice? More. More. <laughs> More. Daddy's special juice and the menu for tonight, please. The menu. <laughs> this is, it's a special one, isn't it? It's a special. Special, but very quick mm. because I only just started. I had my daughter on the phone. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Which one? Tara. All right, cool. Yeah, she's fine. Hi, Tara, I crack off. <laughs> mm. um, oh, mine, yours. And now, tonight's recipe. No. Simona. What's for food tonight, Simona? <laughs> Potatoes, sauerkraut, and pork, pork ribs. Pork ribs? Pork ribs, yes. And I boil some of them. Because I like it better. <laughs> You're boiling the ribs. I'm boiling two, and you get the rest fried, um, grilled if you want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how are we doing the potatoes tonight? To be honest, I do it in one pot: sauerkraut at the bottom, and then a, a little pot on the top where the potatoes are. <laughs> well, like a steam, the steamer. Yeah. Ste yeah. Steamer. Steaming potato. Are, are they the little ones again? No, the big ones. Big the ones. red ones. The, the red ones roosters. Where, where to green. Red roosters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, okay. and how, how are you? How's your weekend? How's your, how's your week been in the mailroom? Are you are you happy oh, with your new window? I'm happy with my new window. <laughs> it's a lot. Even even in the room next to the room with the new window, it's a lot brighter. So you you can it doesn't make a lot different. Doesn't make much difference, but you feel the difference. It feels really good. It's feng shui, isn't it? I was saying, saying earlier on, it's like it just it brings that whole corner of the, the, the building into play again, you know. <laughs> it feels less like a bunker. But, um, but yeah, we've got, got a lot of shelving built. We need to find a joiner. We need a, there's a carpenter in the area that's in, in region two lockdown. You know? We need to get somebody to sort the bloody steps out. Anyway. Our steps. <laughs> we need steps. Yes. We've got steps to go down to our bedroom because... The, the room in which we sleep in, right? I think I told you this before, but it's actually, it used to be called the dead room because it was so heavily um, soundproofed that you could walk into it and stand in the corner and speak and your voice would not, it would, you, your voice physically didn't feel like it left your mouth, right? Anyway, that was all gutted. But the steps that go down are like, they're designed for musicians' feet that go up and down only maybe once or twice a week because the dead room wasn't used that much. But because we use it and I've got a size 11, 11 and a half feet, like the number of times I've gone down there and stepped in these tiny little Cindy Action Man stairs and nearly taken a tumble through the French windy, it's like, you know, so we'll, we'll have to get this done before we get the next room done. But we're moving into the end game. It's quarter two. Yeah. Sabine Brignol, where is Simona from in Germany? My mother's from Kiel. Simone is from Karlsruhe. And lived in Durlach. It was just outside Carlsruhe. 
Nick here, please say hi to my fellow Pete Stubbs. Watches every Friday. How are you doing? Thanks, Becky. Michelle Harter. Hello, Simone. Teresa Langston. Hi, Simone. Lee Brown. Hi, Simone. Hello. Yeah, you get lots of lows here tonight. Uh, yeah, we got... Tomorrow's going to be... Yeah, tomorrow's going to be... It's, I want to get out in that garden and stuff and, and kind of deal with it. You know, it's, we got a load of... And, and the, the... Hey, yes, darling. Please tell them I leave my computer off tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Samara would like you to know that she's leaving her computer off tomorrow. It will not be switched on. Does that mean we're in the garden? Yes. Bulb time. I've still got hundreds of bulbs to go in. Hundreds of tulips and daffodils. So what we're going to try and do is I've been pulling out all the scabby lavenders out there, you know, and then... Uh, Running, I'm going to run a lot of bulbs around the perimeter and stuff. And then I've got all the onions, the stirrings and stuttgarters and everything that go in. So, uh, and I need to get them in. Because it's like, if they don't go in, they don't grow. Right. Uh, Deborah Casey, you love these eat a lot of meat. Yeah, it's Friday. We had margarita pizza last night. Vincent right. Tatty's here in Five Patrick Coffee. You'll get in there. Shirley Miller, yes. You know. Buckus Hannah, happy Thanksgiving from Alpine, California. So thankful, yeah, yeah, no problem, yeah. Yeah, and happy Thanksgiving to you when it all comes, uh, yeah, you know, this is, you kill your turkeys early. <laughs> uh, Ray Lambert did a chuck roast last week. Suze Veed was like Prime River. Don't know what that is, but my wife will. Claire Pierrero, hello. Sabine Brignon, I love sauerkraut and red cabbage with poached so yes. I didn't used to like sauerkraut. When I first went to Germany, I didn't get it, but it was just, um, my taste has changed, I think. And it's, uh, it's a... shame that we can't get a fresh, fresh sauerkraut here. What? You can't get you fresh can't sauerkraut get here? Fresh sauerkraut. But you've made sauerkraut here. No, not yet. What? Because the kimchi jar is occupied. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go anywhere near the kimchi jar is occupied. Uh, steaming potatoes that must have been in vodka. Ha 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 ha. Go away. Um, it's okay, you can cross borders for war You can cross borders for war purposes. I saw, I saw the reasons for crossing borders. You can cross borders to give blood. Uh, if you're looking after animals or you're dealing with animals, uh, um, and there's all these other weird things where you can cross it. It's not horrendous. But, you know, as I've said, it's all down to bloody common sense. It's like, you know, it's down to common sense. It's, you know, just because somebody makes a rule doesn't mean you've got to break it, right? And, you know, you... It, I just despair of it all. Like I say, we, we deal with it up here and, you know... You know, I've been watching... I, I try and steer clear of the, the, the politics and stuff, but some of the stuff that was going on last week just really pissed me off. You know, and um, but I mean, no. Uh, the one thing is, um, the one main thing is, you know, the White House. Uh, and I'm I'm intrigued by it. I mean, I know I've, I've been accused before. I'm not anti-American. I really feel for feel for it. I, I hate all the. I hate all the, this 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 Twitter shrapnel 
it's flying around. I mean, this stuff about, you know, saying like, it's unfair. I mean, some, I think the biggest issue I've got with it all is like, it's the questioning of democracy. It's like, you know, questioning votes and stuff like that. And the thought, you know, as, as I heard today, whether it's true or not, you know, is it fake news? I was like, you know, like the two guys from Michigan coming up with Trump to talk about, you know, the possibility of them voting their own people and or nominating their own people rather than going to the vote. I mean, what? where does that leave us, you know? As voters, I mean, you know, when you've got this going down and, and you know, people not accepting, you know, as a vote, and it's obvious from, you know, these votes that have been uncounted and it's obvious from all this, the, the legal hits that are being, you know, just deflected, you know? You know, the fact that, that Georgia was kind of, you know, the Biden won Georgia were, you know, Republicans in control and things, and, you know, the Pennsylvania vote being so high, it's like, you know, there comes a point where you just got to go, I'm coming out now. You know, and he needs to do it. And you know, I—I I mean, I'm—I'm I'm open. I don't like the man. You know, for what I've—I've I've seen, heard about him, and heard him say in the last three, four years. You know, I'm not a fan. <laughs> and uh, and you know, I'm watching you know Joe Biden, and he's—he comes across as a very old man, but he's comes across as a very old wise man. And I've got to admit that the things that he's been saying in the last week have been more presidential than what's been coming out of the White House. And as I said, I'm not anti-American. I'm very pro-democracy. Right? And, uh, and I've accepted, you know, a couple of elections that went completely the wrong way that, that, than I'd hoped for, expected, whatever. But I wasn't going around accusing the poll count in Livingston of being, you know, you know, Russian infiltration or Venezuelan infiltration into into like the election. <laughs> it's uh it's crazy. So it's ten two, and um and I thought I'd play this because I think in the the next three days something has got to change. You know, there's got to be an acceptance of reality. You know, and there's got to be a soothing and. I said this last week, you know, having been in Scotland and come through a referendum which, you know, really divided the country, you know, I can understand that and I can understand the animosity, but what you don't do is you don't keep on feeling it by questioning the result, you know. Everybody's saying, there's no proof so far that's been found in the last week of any kind of major kind of like corruption deal, vote count deal, you know, you you write your vote down in a bit of paper, you post it, if the postmark is before election day and it's delivered after it, it still counts. That's the way it works, right? So I want to play this. I was going to play it last week, but I thought, but I thought it was going to be over last week. So I'm going to give you this one. This one is like, this is, Just set it up, patience. Try not to make an arse of it. Donald, where's your trousers?
off before the embarrassing arm lift. That's it. <coughs> Nothing fishing Friday. It's interesting because I see a lot of kind of, you get a lot of kind of things coming up on the, the timeline there when I was talking about Trump. I think what you've got to learn is, and what you've got to remember is, is like, and what you've got to do is basically come together. It's, um, yes, he's a great country. And at the moment, the eyes of the world are kind of on it. And it's, um, but he's to come together the same way as, you know, we came together, you know, in Scotland after a referendum. The same way as, you know, we have to get through it. It's called democracy, you know. We have to accept the vote. And, you know, it has to be done, but you need to move forward. It's interesting seeing some polls on on TV about, you know, different attitudes across America to different things. And that's not as divided as you might think it's made out to be by the media. But at the same time, it's like to use the media to try and undermine democracy is like not a good thing. It's like to cast that kind of level of doubt when you're trying to move into it. And, you know, there was a couple of remarks came up there that I would love to sit down and argue with you about. I would love to do a face-to-face -face argument about. And I do more know my stuff, right? But, it's, uh, but we need to come together. It's like this whole COVID thing. I mean, like, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, the Scottish-English border lockdown is not something to do with Scotland and England. It's got to do with, like, a, you know, society, community thing. It's got to do with, like, you know, or a community thing. It's got to do with, like, you know, we, we've got to work together on, on, on all this stuff. And I think, you know, COVID is a far greater problem for us all to deal with than anything else. Um, you know, as I said, I mean, you know, that was Simone on, on the phone, her, her daughter Tara, she's not seen Tara for over a year. And uh, and Tara was caught up in all sorts of places, you know, in, in serious, some serious COVID lockdowns. And uh, my daughter Tara is across in Fife and I can't see her because she's like in, in wrong regions. And, uh, and all I ask is like, you know, we're all sitting here, I mean, you know, most of you in England are in, in lockdown tonight. And there are no pubs and there are no restaurants and there is nowhere to go and like, you know. You're captured by me! Oh. Yeah. But you know, we just gotta play the part. You know, something was on about common sense, you know, it's relative. Yeah, it's relative. I think I've got a good degree of common sense. You know, I wash my hands. When I go in the co-op and stuff, I wash my hands before I go in. I wash my hands when I come out. I wear a mask when I go in. I wear a mask, you know. I don't take chances because it's like chances, like, you know, just chinks in armour, you know. But it's, uh, but it's Friday. It's the weekend. The nasturtium seed is dispersed. And tomorrow I'll be doing onions and bulbs and contributing to my little glow of colour in this dark situation that we're finding ourselves in. And um, to every one of you, you know, watch what you're doing, you know, follow all the guidance stuff. It makes sense, you know, and use your own common sense within that. You know, just don't take chances. Uh, it's, um, it's a tough one, but it's, uh, but it's a weekend, right? And the off licenses are still open, I think. <laughs> Okay, from Simone and I, and um, and the, the pork chops through there, or the pork ribs through there, and the sauerkraut and stuff. Until next week, just take care and stay alive. And like I said, I'll have some splendiferous news, I hope, like with lots of details next week. 
Okay. I love that constant story. If you're watching this or if you catch this up, I will be getting in touch to make sure that Doc and Brother 52's photographs and the letter will all be sent across to you. Okay. Till then. Love you all. Bye.